And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long. And we're on air. Hello, everybody. My name is Andy White, aka Dr. Pod, and he is... Nick Butler, a.k.a. Loudmouth Man at loudmouthman.com. And we are here in the Artisan Tea Room, or Tea Rooms, actually Tea Room, singular. A delightful venue. It's it's fantastic. This is, uh, we're up in Horsham, and the Artisan Tea Room's opened recently in the old, uh, what's basically next to the Old Town Hall. Um, and uh, uh, you know, serving over twenty different types of teas, selection of coffees. This, this is. I'm just blown away. I'm not quite sure. I'm in Washington. I'm drinking a, um, a nice uh, Earl Grey tea, and I'm, my chair was too comfortable. I had to swap it for a less comfortable one. And I am sat uh, reclining uh, upon a a small uh, cushioned chair, uh, sipping on an americano. And Andy and I have been faffing around for most of this morning, just trying to get the show together and get it out there. Yeah. Because uh, this really marks the start of our show, migrating from uh, talking about purely social media to which, which we never really did talk about. Never let's really be honest. Did talk about. It should no. have re- really just been called white noise. Should have just been called Andy or and Andy and Andy white noise. With an swipe noise. Drink. Yeah. Swipe noise. Swipe noise. White tech. Yeah. Tech white people are, we, are we allowed to tell the listeners what we're thinking of calling it, or is it still under wraps? Well, it's under wraps. It's called under wraps. Is it still under wraps? I think, was it state, state of the internet? Possibly. State of the internet. Or like well, the state internet of state. The, the internet state. Um, the agency of the mind. I'm, I'm a big believer that the internet is effectively the the um, the landscape and the nation of the mind. How about citizen internet? Citizen internet. That would be just so you know. There we go. What sort of show would we run? We'd run a show that looks a bit like this sort of run-up. What are we talking about today, Andy? Uh, uh, Outrage over dinner, um, a digital bill of rights, which we have discussed before, but we'll come on to that later. Um, State-sponsored hacking and Google, um, alarmed by censorship of the West, and uh, will shows about video games ever work out? I can never understand your phrases, Nick. No, and, and you know what? I'm not really great with English, considering it's my first language. I'm hoping that by experiencing things like Duolingo, I might learn more about my own language. Yeah, we both discovered we've got so much in common, Nick. This, we should do a podcast together. We should together. do a podcast. And you know yeah. what? We should go to cafes yeah. and we should record them. <laughs> that wasn't as, funny because we already we, do that. Because uh, 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 yeah. you're, you're learning French and I'm learning, uh, not Icelandic, uh, Spanish. Yes, on that's the so similar, called the called Duolingo. Yeah, Duolingo. Check it out. So we'll, um, we'll maybe come back to that another time. Yeah. Um, but for now... Outrage over dinner as never second lives. And you were following this as well. I think everybody's following it. It was hard this is, not to. This is the girl. This, this is, is the, the school Thursday girl. morning news story last who week. Who was taking photographs of her school dinners and blogging about them. And talking about her experiences. And then the school told her she wasn't allowed to put well, photos up. And it of was the gaining traction. And uh, Veg, the girl, the girl called herself Veg in the blog post. Uh, she's, she's nine years old. She's put the blog together with the help of her dad. Uh, so her dad does sort of, you know, looking over her shoulder on this content and on the conversations. And and the local paper wrote a headline about... Um, I mean, she has been able to make changes to her school dinners. So her blog posts have affected change locally. I so, believe Jamie Oliver got involved, and, didn't and, and, and such a she, she, she was very successful in, in getting changed because the newspaper wrote a headline. And then after this headline was written... She was taken out of her maths class and the head teacher, and the head teacher basically said she couldn't take photos anymore. 
and she wrote a sort of goodbye blog post to say, I can't take photos anymore. And I think she felt that she can't take photos. But she was raising money for charity, wasn't she? She was raising money for charity. Yeah, yeah. She was, she was, she was everything that we should hope to encourage any child to aspire to, which is self-motivating, self-effacing, and selfless in their actions. You know, she's, she was talking about things with a view to improving them. She was constructive in her approach. She would take a photograph of her meal. Um, she would talk about its consistency. She would talk about its flavor. She would talk about how many mouthfuls were required to finish it. And she'd done something constructive with her time. And, this, and, and her writing and the attention to her, her sort of communication was, was to be praised. And yet we see that none of this was being approached because clearly there was a concern that she was taking a camera into school. And Is that what the concern was? And I think, I think the, we're, in, we're into two things here. The outrage, the, the, the physical backlash against asking her to stop taking photos and her deciding not to blog anymore. Yeah. Is valid. I think. I think you know. We, it's it's healthy that we're able to say, look, we think this is unfair. But we saw some terrible response from our girl in Butte Council and her school in terms of how they handled this. Uh, first, they're not really addressing this in any fashion of how do we how do we work with Veg so that she can continue this and improve upon it. Yeah. Um, Instead, they obviously were having trouble finding a way to tackle what is a very nuanced issue here, which is if we're saying she can continue to take photos, then we're approving that she can bring a camera into school. And with many schools today, um, and it's weird, because 20 years ago, schools weren't really thinking like this. Mm. Schools today are worried about how cameras are being used to invade people's privacy. Now, what happens if, if that camera takes more than just a photo of the meals? What if somebody else says, well, she can bring a camera in, I can bring a camera in, and they start taking photos, and those photos are inappropriate. Those photos are... And so now the school has to have a mechanism for trying to deal with something in a simple way, we'd ask you not to bring cameras in, into some fairly sort of convoluted, we need to set a statement of priority as to how we're dealing with these things. This wasn't addressed. This wasn't addressed cleanly, and the backlash, which is saying was vindicated, uh, resulted in um, an awareness of her blog, so it's brought many thousands of people to her blog. Mm. Um, an awareness of what she did, and she ended up raising forty-five thousand pounds. Because it was, it was about was it a few it was a few thousand pounds before the backlash, and now it's about forty thousand pounds. Yeah. So in a way, um, there's a the good that's come out of this has been both uh, for uh, charity, but also. Or how people are beginning to be able to react faster to concerns as mm. people versus democracy all over again. You know, there's a there is there isn't being what is not being addressed in all this backlash is how how do we approach cameras and phones and digital equipment in the hands of children in schools today in a constructive way without a sweeping uh, statement to generally block or deter the use. I mean, what, what, what should have come first would have been embracing the fact that this is everything that we might hope that a modern education is providing our children. The ability at nine years old to get on the internet and communicate in a mature fashion and to do something constructive. Has, has the ban been overturned? 
the ban. Well, what I've heard so ban. far is that they had the council certainly U-turned the, the school of U-turned on the, on the on the position. She can now continue to carry on with her blog. I tell you what's interesting. Because when I first read this, I'm oh, the, the wretched school, and I'm shaking my fist and lighting my torch. But her dad, because her dad put a bit on the, not the last blog, but the penultimate blog when she said, "I've got to go," and he said that the school had been his. His quotes, the school today, and they've told me, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's going on about, um, have been, Martha's school have been brilliant and supportive from the beginning. I'd like to thank them all. Do you think it's just saying that? It's hard to know all the details. Is yeah. the first problem. You, you end up with a... How have they been supportive and brilliant? a resounding echo chamber of content. Mm. Um, and I think just, go, we need to narrow this back down to... We have a school, because the school came back and said, well, obviously, we, you know, we'd like it to carry on, but... And their apology, I felt, was the least efficient, or at least effective... So the school apologised? Uh, there was a school that didn't apologise, I think that would be the wrong phrase, but they turned around and said, well, we're concerned because, you know, the staff were concerned for their jobs, and I can't yeah. understand why the staff would be concerned for their jobs, mm. because their jobs are in relation to what the council chooses, not what a nine-year-old blog's about, mm. so why is that even relevant? Um... She was only taking one photo and you weren't getting a fair representation of all of the meals that were available. Well, no, but she takes a photo every day. She's blogging about the thing that she wants to eat. We have to assume she's not going to physically choose the worst thing on the menu every day mm. and choose to eat the worst thing. Mm. And if she is, that's kind of brave. Mm. So that's not really a great excuse for, well, we were concerned because she's not being, you know, being fair. Mm. Um, to which you can always say, well, let her take all the photos of all the meals then. In fact, why not have all the pupils talk about their meals? Said it as homework, that'll just upset them. Nobody would want to do it then. So, <laughs> I, it does, I it, it does strike me that you get these... You do, in my opinion, you do see nonsense coming out of large corporates or large organisations non-intelligence so I think I think you can see the dumb and the good and I think you right. have the chance of seeing either mm. um, I think the internet has made corporations more uh, careful mm. in what they are trying to uh, communicate and they are getting smarter that things will happen faster if you, things move faster now because of the internet. The Berlin Wall took months to fall down. Uh, the Arab Spring took weeks. You know, the, the Egyptian dictator issue took, took days to manage. So, so the, the speed with which communication can change structures has changed radically. Corporations are not designed for this sort of environment mm. where you need to have a meeting and then you need to discuss it and then it needs to go to legal and then it needs to go to marketing and then it needs to go to PR. Now it needs to go back to communications and then it needs to go back over to legal and then we can formalise it and then we can yep. send it to... And that's ridiculous. Things, things are changing at high speed. I'm delighted to see that she's going to carry on blogging. Um, I personally think that her Monday today is probably going to be the most stressful because of... There's no way the whole school is not going to be a buzz about this as a topic. Mm, mm -hmm. And kids can be absolute bastards to each other. Yeah. yeah. So she'll have good sides, but she's very likely also going to suffer from some kids being absolute dicks. Well, Veg, you have our respects. Do you have a respect? I'm giving uh, you the respect yes. sign. Let's drink to Veg. Drinking to Veg. To Veg. Know, you nice know, one. As, as somebody who loves food and drink, mm. yeah, have we ever had the chance to have somebody like her on a podcast yeah. to talk about it? 
said, get her and her dad get, on. Get her and dad on. That'd be really cool, wouldn't anyway, it? Anyway, delighted, le- de- delighted to learn about uh, this crowdsourcing of uh, a digital bill of rights. Well, speaking about things moving fast. Yes. Uh, it's interesting. And the flip side of that is when governments and a- when governments and communities try to uh, get, say, something like this bill of rights, or mm. or to try to help build law from crowdsourcing, mm. the thing slows down into molasses so quickly. Does it? It's, Have we seen this happen before? Though? It's, it happens quite a lot. It's, it's one of the benefits and the detractors of the open source community is everybody can talk about everything so everybody can talk about everything okay so what you need is someone to kind of invigilate and whittle it down a bit this is how it's going to run Um, when Senator Ron Wyden and Representative Daryl Issa uh, started drafting a crowdsourced digital bill of rights in the hopes of preventing a piecemeal laws like SOPA and CISPA from over-regulating the internet they created a website called Keep the Web Open where everybody was encouraged to contribute worth going and have a look at this um, I know you and I have talked in the past about uh, the need for a digital bill of rights mm-hmm. um, it's summed up quite well in one of the comments here it says Congress shall pass no law affecting the sovereign nation of the internet there you go that would be a good name for the podcast the sovereign nation of the internet sovereign nation of the internet that's what we need to call us the it's, sovereign internet what I keep coming back to is that the internet doesn't have a geopolitical... Internet is, is the agency of our minds. It exists out of the ability for our minds to communicate ideas and concepts with each other without the boundaries of, of, of a political area, without the boundaries of a geophysical area, and you can communicate worldwide in milliseconds. Yeah. And you can reach around the world in milliseconds. Because you can now do that... What is the value of having a political or a geopolitical, a physical location in regards to what an idea means? It doesn't make sense. And when everybody can share me this, we, we do these podcasts in cafes uh, because we, we feel that the, the ambience of uh, a cafe around talking about ideas is central to how ideas are formed. And, and the French Revolution started in cafes and tea rooms and coffee rooms. Did it? You know, this so this revolution, podcast revolutions start... I've taken the headphones off again, sorry. Revolutions start in coffee houses and yeah. in bars. Revolutions always start when people get together and have a drink. Yeah, the internet is really... If, if the governments are really worried about stopping people sharing ideas or creating revolutionary ideas... Don't put ideas in their mind. They need to close down cafes. Don't put, their ide- don't put ideas in their mind. Have well, you got any torches with you? Got some matches. Managed cafes. That's what you need to do. Regulate but the cafes. I tell you what's Conversation shall be specific. Reading this article, um, and you were talking about getting bogged down in molasses. It says, um, in, the, in the current form, the Digital Bill of Rights doesn't sort of tackle the whole um, kind of copyright thing. No one's come up with a clever way, with a sort of, well, not not, not a clever way, but kind of a Bill of Rights for that bit of it. Which is the going to be interesting. The and response also... to ownership of content. Yes. The response to uh, the permission for the owner of content to have rights over it. Yeah. And to be able to earn value from it. Yes. And it's hard for people to phrase that. Would you agree with that, because, st- that statement? Because, because you, can, you can agree the statement, but you can't enforce the statement. Yeah. And the but what did the original Bill of Rights state? There's no point specifying a bill of rights or a bill or a um, a constitution if you don't have the power to implement it and you don't have the power of authority 
to deliver on it. Mm. So you can make as many manifestos and builds as you like if you don't have those two things in place. And most of what the internet is about is internet service providers providing the means for something to happen. Music companies come along and they say they have the authority for it not to happen. Mm. But that's a separate topic for uh, further in the show. Um, there's also someone else, isn't there, doing um, uh, this is the Free Internet Activism Board, of which there is a link, yeah, and apparently it's further along. So we're going to see this, a proliferation, aren't we? Once you have this proliferation of this idea, how do you, how do you implement something like this? Mm. How do you implement something like this uh, with any level of authority? Mm. How do you ensure... Because if other countries come on board, as more countries come on board, each country is trying to implement its cultural bias towards governance across the whole of its experience of the internet. Hang on, hang on, hang on. When the original Bill of Rights was that those dudes got together in America and they all signed, there were about 13 of them, weren't there? They all signed their names. Yes. Did they have the authority to enforce it at the time? Yeah, because they'd been a thing called the Civil War. Right. Yeah. So this is my lack of history coming out. Okay. But were they in a, in a, in a so position of authority? There, were, there, was this, this, there was this definite position. So why were their lives in, 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 in danger by signing it? Because I thought their lives were in danger. Um... Okay, uh, you're going to drag me onto a topic of American history now, for which my memory is extremely vague. American listeners, can you please enlighten us? Yes, absolutely. um, (laughs) Both of you. you There was this thing where you had the American Civil War, and then you had, of course, Britain tried to come across and say, oh no, we're definitely going to be in charge as well. Those dastardly British. Yeah. um, There's there's, there's so many... the, The struggle that there is that you and I have all talked about is... In Britain, there is this idea that people think, oh, well, we have a British constitution, and it doesn't you, exist. You don't think it exists, do you? No, I know it doesn't exist. And, and I can tell you that pretty much every you know, political major in Britain will See, tell well, you it See, I know exist. a whole bunch of people that think it does exist. Well, yeah, but that's because they actually aren't educated on this. There's a difference oh, here. Oh, come on, it's a sweeping statement. No, but it's an accurate statement. you're them with a sweeping statement. Absolutely, because I'm right about this one. There is no written constitution. <laughs> it's a collection of I read it in your book as well, so it must be true. <laughs> And not the book that you wrote, the book yes. you had. There's the, the, two other, the two other books that I have. They're also books that are used if you go choose to study politics. Right, okay. <laughs> you know, so if you, if you want to choose to study, or if, I don't know, you potentially just decided to pick up the internet and, right. and look beyond just Wikipedia, you discover Britain doesn't have this. <laughs> you see? Meanwhile, France, you know, they had their own revolution. You know, and they established their republic and they established their new rules. And, yeah. You know, um, I, there, there is a... There is a certain requirement for every nation to reach a point at which it stands up against the overarching management of its organisational tools and says enough is enough. Mm. There is a fairly good chance with the way that the the, uh, economy is running itself at the moment that the next sort of revolution is going to be not against governments but against banks. But this is a different topic. Oh, do not get me started on banks. <laughs> and let's move on, on that, move on quickly on that, to Google's... Go and visit Four to, Horsemen films. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Quick, quick plug for that, Nick, because uh, you've mentioned it before. Go and visit... Four, just look up Google Four Horsemen film. OK, right. So there we go. Right. Now, um, talking about Google... Just a couple of tweets about Google. These, these have come up, and this, this is actually all ties in towards... Um, how our government at the moment, and specifically Theresa May. But before we get to this, we'll come, we'll come back to Google. Google are now are on the, constantly on the lookout for malicious activity. You may notice... State-sponsored malicious activity. Uh, basically, 
there is no a less. chance that states will be attempting to access accounts of other sovereign nation members um, by hacking them, by trying passwords and so forth. So you may get this little warning pop up that says, um, "We believe state-sponsored attacks may be attempting to compromise Do you know what? your I'd, account." I'd be really pleased if I got that message because I feel important. Well, what I'm important to your own state. <laughs> I'd still feel important. So why do you say that? Um, so they're taking a step further, a subset of our users who we believe. Um, Google feel it's their duty to protect their users. So now Google are moving like a nation to say that its, its citizens, Google's citizens, must be protected from outside forces. So being a member of Google's online country means that they're determined to let you know if somebody from uh, another nation or even in your own nation is attempting to access your account. The state versus the internet. state versus the internet, which takes us nicely onto Theresa May um, attempting to resurrect this need for ISPs to keep track of every email destination. So if I send an email to you... They'll track. Oh, Nick Butler sent me an email to you. Now I don't know. Okay. I mean, first of all, bearing in mind that this all this all requires ISPs to be able to monitor my Google activity, which is not occurring on the ISP service. Okay, let's just back up. We couldn't not cover this on the podcast. Let's just say that for the this is this is the, the latest attempt by the government to spy on us, basically. This is yeah. I mean, this okay. is and they're saying because of terrorists and child exploitation, we yeah. need to protect and it's, And if you're against this, then you're for terrorists and pedophiles. Okay, and it's Theresa May who's behind it. Is she the Theresa instigator May of this? Leading, leading this again, and she's okay. attempted to bring in a bill. Um, and you know, we're, we're linking to it here. Um, uh, She's talking about the communications data bill, which, if passed, results in service providers required to store the history of every citizen's internet use. Well, we're back to the old classic scenario of what is it uh, about our MPs and the advice that they're getting which constantly leads them to honestly believe that an internet connection is an individual. I mean, right now, you and I mm. are sharing one internet connection. Right? Okay. And I've got an internet... We are sharing an internet connection through my account. So if you send and receive emails, and let's assume that, you know, some reason or other, you can track the emails and everything else. Yeah, yeah. We're two different people. Monitoring my account on the internet is ridiculous. Uh, okay, well, hang on a minute. Is she talking about... Is she- what are, what are the internet entities she was referring to? Email, presumably, is the first one. Yeah, so they want to track Twi- if tweets. I send an email, not yeah. the content, just the address. Okay, so the fact that an email was sent. And if I visit with a website. With to and from. Yeah. Okay. What else? And if I send a... Because that's quite easy to track, let's be honest. It's SMTP, and there are logs on the servers, which... Do they track the sender and receiver? It's quite easy to track if... Yeah. You're using the internet service provider's service. Yes, if you're not, if you're using Google with, H- then with, with secure it. sockets, then it's just a lump of noise. Yes. Okay, yeah, now I'm seeing your point. Now I'm seeing your point, yes. She's coming at the wrong, at the wrong level. They're coming at this from completely the wrong approach. Meanwhile, yeah. incidences of capturing predators, predators of children, yeah. have increased because the tools 
to find them are getting easier to use because the internet is exposing them faster. If you want right. to excuse the phrase. Yes, pardon the pun. Uh, um, so it would seem to me that actually not doing anything more but allowing the internet to continue its progression hmm. will improve your opportunities of discovery. Whereas adding censorship will drive people, hmm. legitimate users and the people you're after. And the FBI are saying that because of the Onion Router tool, tool they're yeah. having a harder time finding pedophiles. Um, but well, as, as my respect, friend Steve Gibson would say, it's a double-edged sword. It's with with progress comes the dark side. It just but going back to Google Mail. It's half empty thing. When I, I mean, they, they brought this up. This, um, this child protection agency. There was a, uh, it was broadcast on the internet. And they were taking questions from the internet, and I said, mm. "Do you not feel that since the invention of since the access to this information, your hit rates in finding?" and shutting down these networks have increased exponentially. Not because these these things have increased because of the internet, but because it's now easy for you to find them. And their response was, well, that's a very glass-half-empty sort of approach. Which means yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you're not going to say no to that, are you? You're not going to say, actually, well, yeah, you're kind of right. Actually, if we just keep doing everything we're doing, it's going to make life easier for us to find all these people. Yeah. But we previously, they were there, we just weren't finding them. Yeah. Um, okay, back to the pra- pra- practicalities of this. It's impractical. Okay, it's, it's impractical. Pointless. Well, and, you can't and, go to one and, point. Does she think you can just go to the ISPs and solve this? Yeah. Is that where she's going she, with this? I mean, why, why go to monitoring people's activities online and sweeping? Yeah. Why go to assuming that every individual is guilty uh, in the chance that they might be guilty in the future? And the danger is that you're keeping a hold of information and tracking information that at a later date you might decide as a nation is now illegal this has happened you know, in our history of our world we have moved from governments that have changed so radically that they've gone from one aspect of freedom to an aspect of tyranny and in the same result they have taken large amounts of information that have been gathered from ironically from banks originally and said well give us that information because we need to find these people what if the ISPs are asked to hand over information about people that results in you know Oh, everybody who's a big supporter of Reddit is actually a potential terrorist and needs to be questioned by the police. And they also need to start walking around. You know, I'm, a pre- I'm heading to Goblin's Law right now. You know, this is the whole argument mm, at this point. Mm. But we need to be careful. We don't need to have... We should never, as citizens, think that it is acceptable for governments to arbitrarily sweep across communications and say, it, it would be, you know, they're, they're not monitoring every single post, that's got every single item of post that's going through in the postal service. And they're not standing beside every table in the cafe listening in for conversations that might be of a dubious nature. Mm. But this is exactly what they're trying to propose. They want to be in that position of taking over uh, people's freedoms to communicate in what is perceived to be a private fashion. Do you think if politicians were educated on the basics of how the internet works, we'd see less of this? I do or believe I, that, that, because I look at Tom Watson MP, yeah. we find a politician who has been educated, who understands the basics of how the internet works, yeah. and therefore doesn't get caught up in trying to support bills that are ineffective. I mean, going back to the, to the Aussie layer model of the internet, Theresa's coming in at the wrong layer. level, isn't she? Well, the OSI layer thing is, is potentially... No, the OSI layer thing here is, is absolutely not the point. Mm. She's not just coming in the wrong level. This level should never be discussed. There should be no level at which this should be considered acceptable. Mm. It's not the technology that's acceptable here. It's not the technology that's the problem. It's the whole concept. 
we should not be encouraging the idea that it is okay for governments to spy on and monitor every one of its citizens with the view that it potentially might capture criminals. We have CC, we have more CCTV per square metre of the London capital than any other city in the world. It has not actually reduced crime in terms of crimes happen and they still, you know, they have a mechanism by which they go, oh, this will definitely help us capture criminals, but the crime still happens. Well, they don't use the cameras off the time, don't they? Anyway. So, you know, this is not the point. We should never consider this to be acceptable. This is not an efficient argument. Okay, so keep Ryan. I mean, the who's that group? Is it 38 Sigma? Oh, no. Um, no, that's, that's, that's the people that did um, base camp. Um, you know that group, the I mean. The Open Rights Group? Yeah, but there's also... Another one. There's another one that do regular campaigns, yes. and I can't remember who they are. I can't are, remember them either, and, and I'm just quickly looking at mine, but never mind. Um, while I'm thinking about that, let's just move on. Um, Google alarm over... Th- this increasing this is, this trend is, of Europe to censor the internet? And this is, is real? I mean, this is, um, this, is, this is what they're coming to, is that they're now noticing that Spain and its data protection bills, uh, Britain, of course, tries to bring in its, its um, own equivalent of the data, the, the Digital Economy Act. Yeah. Um, the, the British phonographic industry, which has now managed to encourage ISPs, yeah, they've, they've won a precedent case to get ISPs to shut down access to particular IP addresses. Mm-hmm. The net result being that, well, now they can potentially focus on other internet addresses. And they could eventually go through and say, well, we want to say that most of Britain can't access this part of the internet because we consider it contains content that might infringe the rights that we have. Might. And uh, we've seen America go across to New Zealand and shut down Mega Upload despite the fact that Mega Uploaders, they've been gathering together information and now saying, well, actually, a large percentage of what we did was legal. Mm. And whilst there was illegal content on there, we were responding to that illegal content, shutting us down, actually penalised everybody who was using it legally. Mm. Um, Google, Google are raising this idea, and I, I keep coming down to the point that IPv6 is most likely to be the point at which we all decide to eject from the internet that... that IPv4 leaves the internet broken for censorship mm. and that IPv6 because the internet views censorship as, as a break in the internet and routes around it IPv6 would make it harder because because if you get a, a, a bill that says oh we, we've got a set of IP addresses that you can block and somebody turns up and says well I've got over a million IP addresses which one are you going to block and they're distributed across a range of subnets it gets harder it gets harder. IPv6 could make this uh, a lot harder for governments to take the approach of technology for implementing censorship, and a lot harder for corporations to implement censorship of ownership of ideas, which at the end of the day is how they're perceiving they're going to gain the opportunity to break value by saying we are going to control the mechanism by which new ideas can disseminate. Um, Information over the airwaves via radio was free until it became regulated. Information for TV became regulated. It has been far harder to regulate the internet to ensure that a small group of monopolistic broadcast entities, media corporations, can control content that gets delivered to everybody in the nation. I'm nodding on an audio podcast, and sorry. Yeah, I agree. That's the point. That's the point. We need to protect the internet because keeping this free keeps our minds free of being branded into being told what it is the advertisers would like us to think today. Mm. Speaking of advertising, we haven't spoken about our sponsors. Let us talk about our sponsors who are still, if I'm not mistaken, they are indeed King King of of Shaves. King of Shaves. And I have my King of Shaves shaved today. 
with my King of Shaves full blade Azure razor and King of Shaves gel. And uh, King of Shaves very kindly sponsored this podcast, helped pay for the coffees, the cakes, uh, the car parking, um, and they help us get out here and have this conversation. So thank you, King of Shaves. Uh, I raise a cup of coffee to you. I raise my empty cup to you, but all the previous sips I've had were toasting you, and, King of Shaves. Uh, thank you very much. King of Shaves have, there's actually a Huffington Post article, they also, Will King, I, I, I just off my hat to this guy, he's, he's, he's got the focus of business in Britain is important, but it's the only thing that will build Britain up is encouraging businesses in Britain to make use of the internet, to make use of ideas, to make use of the economy. And he's constantly looking at how he can promote through both the King of Shaves brand You've got things like King of Shaves Sub, which is a subscription service to the King of Shaves Blades. How's it going? And it's it's brilliant. It just it still continues to crank along. I'm actually waiting for people to come back to me with feedback on it. Yeah. Um, But I, you know, I know that they're getting out there. They've taken the the emails, taken the orders, they're making deliveries. King of Shaves has sponsored James Ellington to go to the Olympics. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the least likely to talk about sports and uh, talk about the Olympics or talk about Jubilees um, but the fact that um, King spotted that here was somebody who wasn't getting the sponsorship and stepped up to provide the opportunity brilliant uh, I think stepping up to provide the opportunity and, and again thank you for your shows for sponsoring the show um, I'm a big fan of things like Indiegogo where people can crowdsource from ideas mm. and say we think this is a cool idea we'd like it to happen mm. And I, I mean, I've, I've used I've used Indiegogo in the past to sort of take part in something like Clockwork Watch, the arrival, a sort of crowdsourced transmedia event to do with comics and uh, live action um, sort of steampunk. Uh, recently, a new project called Project Possum has been launched by the chaps who are ex of Inside Xbox, so the chaps behind uh, sent you a message and. Um, uh, Nexus and so forth, having been let go from Microsoft, uh, sort of made a joke about it. You know, if we decided to crowdsource doing this, would people pay for it? And we all said, Yeah, we would. So they put together a 30-day thing and said, Oh, we just we just need to raise about ten thousand mm. dollars. Well, they're nearly twenty thousand dollars now. And if some people have submitted up to a thousand dollars, so let me get this right. These are some ex-employees of Microsoft. Ex-employees of Microsoft who say we will produce a regular show about video games. Yeah. Now freed from the constraint about Microsoft, they can now talk about PlayStation, Nintendo, all the other products. So this guy that I watched on this video, because if you go to the link uh, at the bottom, the chap you saw was I thought it was, was really Dan funny. Mayer. It's really funny. Yeah, Dan Mayer, <laughs> otherwise known as Mr. Pointyhead. Pointy head. Mr. Pointy, Mr. Pointy head. Pointy head. Why is yeah. he known as Mr. Pointy head? Look, anyway, on with the show. Okay, right. <laughs> he hasn't got a pointy head. But you saw Sorry, Kira. Yeah. I saw his video. He doesn't have a pointy head. But back to the point about Project Boston. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> carry on. Carry on. What's your point now? Haven't you? you were about to say you watched it. Yeah, I what did watch you it. think? I thought it was very. I thought he was very funny. He made me laugh. And is he a disgruntled employee? of... of I think I, I think it would be unfair to, to get involved in his his employee of Microsoft okay. conversation. Okay. okay. Uh, but I do think it's fair to say that between himself, um, Andy Ferrant, and the other chaps who were behind sort of recording and editing of it, they produced the show that I enjoyed watching on a weekly basis. So and I'm, that show was just to remind that our show listeners. Sent you a message. Sent you a message, right? Okay. But it was only available on the Xbox dashboard. Okay, so you can only Xbox get users. to it through Xbox. Yeah. Now, I, I, so I've, I've, I've contributed to this project. 
I've got $50 down. Um, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, I think these things like this are important. This, this crowdsourcing of an idea is, it's as Gaping Void says, startups are the linchpin of Western civilization. Yeah. Well, crowdsourcing is the linchpin of communities saying we want to start something new and not waiting for companies to tell us of the new variation of the same old product they're going to launch before. And that's my point. Go view the product, go view the, the video, go view Project Possum. Um, so is, also, it, is it going to happen? Oh, yeah, it's going to happen. There's definitely going to be a pilot show. It's okay. going to happen. Um, and go view the pilot show. And of course, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and donations are as important to them as they are to us. So if you have enjoyed listening to this half hour rantage and whittlage on the topic Actually, of politics. 36 minute show. On politics and social media and technology, please visit the site, visit the donate button click on donate uh, and send through donations because uh, your donations help pay for coffees, cakes, conversations and content. We thank you, uh, three listeners. And watch this space because there is some stuff coming up. There is things happening. Are we allowed to tell them the stuff coming up? No, it's always always good to keep things as a bit of a tease. We'll keep it under wraps. Indeed. So there we go. So anyway, you have been... I'll have been uh, Dr. Bodskelt. Doctor I'm never Bob. sure if that's ever heard. Yeah. And I am Nick Butler, a.k.a. Loudmouthman at loudmouthman.com. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. Love. Thanks for listening to Social Media White Noise, brought to you by Andy White, aka Dr. Pod, and Nick Butler, aka Loudmouthman. Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the webpage, and subscribe for free. Email us at ulot at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Follow us on Twitter, Dr. Pod and Loudmouthman. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex, social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon. Peace.